Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I should actually, I should, I should do a fake backdrop of my DVD library because it's, it's actually disturbing how large it is. It's an entire... Mine is, is tucked away and never just collecting dust. Oh. And, and like, I ne- like I got to the point where I'm like, I don't know the last time I've actually used a DVD in the last five years, maybe even 10, right? Because well, everybody's streaming, yeah. Streaming, I buy it on Apple TV, which is not, you, you can see my background. Yeah. My, oh, very nice. my screensaver, yes. basically, is the Apple TV. And then um, my Laserdisc collection is more impressive than my DVD collection. <laughs> wow, have you checked those lately? Because they don't don't have a long shelf life. Is it it like that? Do they degrade? They they rot. Yeah. Something to do with something to do with the glue that they put the the two sides in. Night before my birthday, so you have to excuse me for my. Uh, Yes, happy birthday, sir! But sell your laser disc now. That is my birthday gift to you. My, my, you might get ten bucks. I did. I did give away one of my players because they're like vinyls, and some friend was like. I really want to start collecting laser discs. Do you have an old player? Because I can't find any. And I go, I got like five of them. So here. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that has the kind of future that mine was. No, not. <laughs> I mean, it was supposed to be like the, the quality was, uh, what I heard was worse than three quarter inch. <laughs> it was. It was, but it was know. better than VHS. That's why we like it. Yes, back then it looked like HD to us. I have, a, I have a friend who's sort of uh, peak earning years as a screenwriter were the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, he was lamenting the other day. He's like, why, why did I have to have movie money during the peak of Laserdiscs? <laughs> <laughs> why, why did I spend all my money on cocaine when everybody was doing cocaine? You know? Uh, there you go. I know, exactly. But I remember, like, last time we talked, Joe, I was t- talking about Man Bites Dog. And I was like, that theater, that art house theater. And you're like, Lemley's on Sunset Five. You, you called it, right? <laughs> It was that was where the big collection buy. Oh yeah, they had, that was, was everybody amazing. shopped for their stuff there. Oh my god, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, Anyways, I won't delay you guys. So, sorry. No, 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 no we're just wallowing in the past. Yeah, we have a, a very tight end. schedule here. Why don't you just read your list? And unless you want to preamble with this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you better believe it. We're recording. It's all, it's all bullshit if it's on our show. Oh, That's right. Cool. Joe, are you? I actually enjoyed the last show. I got to tell you guys. I actually listened to it twice. Oh. It tells you something about my fucked up personality. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Oh, good, good, good. I always, I always worry that somebody will listen to their, their episode and get pissed off about something. And, you know. No, I was more listening because, like, it's part of, like, studying. You know, when you do, we all do it. Like, we do the, you, when you do the press junket for a movie right. or when you're doing print interview or TV interview, it's like, how am I coming off? There is a very self-conscious part of that, right? Right. And then there's the other part. It's like, was I talking too much, not letting the other person talk? So I got really in my own kind of weird. No, but you know, when they ask you the same question over and over, then you know, you find yourself but, answering, and you're thinking about what are you going to do have for dinner, or yeah. what, do you, what do you need to do your homework. <laughs> but do you remember how this goes, Joe? Like you start at the beginning of the day on the on, the, on a new movie, you start out with this paragraph answer. Right. And by midday, it's like succinctly <laughs> down to two, two sentences. 
feel like I just want to get the fuck out of here. It's, uh, it's yeah, no, and we, we've been finding, we've been doing a lot of folks lately who are on uh, like the award circuit and um, pretty much all of them have said the same thing, which is really nice. Like this is a nice, even if they're in the middle of like a hundred of those interviews this week, it's like, we're, we're a nice break from that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, who wants to do an awards circuit? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Love me. Love suck, my suck, movie. Suck dick to get a statue. <laughs> um, Joe, are you using your microphone or? I, I am, and it's uh, it's plugged in. Oh, okay, you're getting a weird. You don't. You don't it sound as. Be. It's oh, better plugged in now. There we go. That's it. Now right I can there. hear myself. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big. Right. That was a, like Memorex. <laughs> yeah, I'm keeping that. That stays in. <laughs> <laughs> This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Psych, we got we've got Albert Hughes back, uh, returning champion, um, and because uh, we had a conversation, I think kind of after the last time you were on, um, and uh, uh, discovered discovered not surprisingly, I think I've known this from seeing your films and some of the things you put on, kind of extras that you're a, a big fan of uh, uh, black movies. Yes, as is like my uh, you know. We, me, and you are in similar age, right? You, you told me that the first time we. I'm, I'm way younger than you, Albert. Stop okay, it. Okay, okay. You look it. Because <laughs> um, this is part, partly what's interesting. We're, we're kind of the, some from the same generation. Yep. Those before us, and I actually have questions about that that time period because, um, yes, we were like our generation, which is the hip hop generation, extremely influenced by black exploitation films, right? Right. And before. I came on today, I just had to do a little research, do the Wikipedia, do the documentaries, and just like refresh myself on it because, again, the disclaimer is I'm not a big cinephile, right? There are my favorites. And, and the, the one thing that kind of came to my mind is like, oh, God, we got to kind of couch this right in, in the correct way. And Joe can speak to it more real time before I was born. And then when Ouch. I was born, <laughs> a couple of years before I was born, you were born, okay? Um, um, no, you've no been around, be you've been around professionally a lot longer than me. We know that because you influenced me with your movies, basically, right? But what 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 just hit me today was the year I was born was almost the beginning, not the apex of black exploitation. I was born in 1972, right? Right. And little little did I realize as I was growing up what came before 1972. You had 68. You had 63. There was assassinations. You know, all, all our black leaders. There was riots and. Chicago, New York, L.A. Um, yeah, you're lucky you missed all that. <laughs> yeah, I, my, father, my father has a great story. I wasn't in 92 rights, though. I wasn't that right, okay? I actually went and got involved in that right. Um, my father was in the one in Detroit, and he, his story to me was, um, and this is all kind of dovetailing into black exploitation. Um, his story to me was that he looted a store with a bunch of people. It was a men's suit store. He got home and realized it was for oversized men. <laughs> None- <laughs> None of the suits he stole. So wait, and then he went off, and we went off, and he looted a candy store. <laughs> yeah, well, so we I, could, looted, so we I looted. I looted. I looted a store during the riots, and I, I had such a guilty conscience that 
Well, the first thing I did is I went behind the counter and there was this big black muscular guy with his shirt off right near the cash register. And that's what I was going for. And he's like, I already got it, dog. I'm like, okay, <laughs> what, can, what can I still hear that make my conscience not feel so bad? So I, I stole a box of condoms. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, so the, the point to all this is, you know, post 68 and those riots and, you know, now we're talking about like um, affirmative action, you know, the civil rights bill, you know, uh, police brutality was a big thing. You know, then this cinema thing happens yeah. uh, with that in the background. And, and you see that the theme really is sticking it to the man, the yeah. white yeah. man, the yeah. hunky, the this, the that, the other. And it just hit me today. I was like, wow, that's kind of what birthed this whole thing. And, you know, the controversy about, I mean, we have to get into more detail about this, but it's like the controversy about, uh, you, you hear the story nowadays about who, who, who are the gatekeepers of our stories. And it's, it's something I'm constantly even talking to my agent about, you know, with, with my work nowadays, right? The gatekeepers back then, the writers, the directors, the crew, or white men or Jewish white men. To me, they're one and the same. You know, they're just they're white men. Um, and and then you have all the controversies that follow that and the, the, the pros and cons. So I just wanted to kind of couch for your audience what that was coming out of, I guess. And Joe, yep. of course, you can speak to it better than I. I in 1972, I had no conscience. You partially <laughs> had one. Well, I I was working at a, at a at a trade magazine, an exhibitor magazine in Philadelphia, and I was reviewing movies. And of course, I, I saw all the black exploitation pictures because they were, it was Philadelphia for one thing. And, and, uh, oh and it was so much fun to go to the movies. Well, you were in Philadelphia? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for all through the 70s. Well, one of my favorites I want to bring up later was shot there, but go ahead. No, oh. Trick Baby? Oh, my God, you know it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, but uh, Philadelphia was a, a, a great movie town, and and uh, the big theaters like the Stanton and the Midtown and all those things are they they were big old theaters, and they had lots and lots of space. And uh, the the reactions to movies with black audiences and the reactions with white audiences were completely different. Uh, I saw yep. The Exorcist with a black audience, and they <laughs> they. I, it, I wouldn't say they didn't like the movie because I think they really enjoyed it, but they, they, they talked back to the screen for the entire yeah. picture. Yeah. That uh, was like, we also had the old Fox theater in Detroit, which is similar in style to what you're talking about. These old movie houses, mm-hmm. you know, and in 1985, I saw um, the untouchables with Robert De Niro and Kevin Costner and the black audience was not only talking to the screen, they were rooting for Al Pacino. I mean, Al, Al Capone. They were rooting for Al Capone to <laughs> To, to win in the movie. <laughs> you do get a different take on it, but it's, uh, it's, it's just, I don't know, some of the best, some of the best quotes I've ever heard during, from an oh, audience yeah. have been, have been I mean, you know, in those oh, the, uh, the best hecklers. Yeah. The best, the, the best hecklers. And there's, by the way, I know we're going to be deviating here, but I want to talk about like the, the, the theater, what I, what I just found out from this one documentary. It's like what you just said, Joe, about these, these great kind of theaters in the inner cities. You know, a white flight was taking place during that time, right? Mm-hmm. And th- there was these theaters that weren't being patroned by white people anymore. And then black exploitation came on, and the right. black crowd was filling these theaters, right? Yep. So the, the the old Fox Theater in Detroit, um, just like the one I even had when I grew up in Pomona, California, it was an old Fox Theater. Fox always built a theater where they thought there would be a boom town. Um, uh-huh. and, and my father would take me in Detroit to go see all the Bruce Lee movies. Um, 
or Bruce Lye movies, depending on, on Bruce Lye, <laughs> oh, Bruce, Bruce Lye movies. Dragon Lee. Um, and, and that was my first experience with the kind of the black audience because I was in the black, you know, it's like the second chocolate city to, to DC. And I, my two uh, biggest memories of the way they heckled a movie. One was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, what's the one with the Predator, mm-hmm. right? What, when, when it went into the Predator angle, you know, and it was all that pixelated, you know, kind of, you know, what do you call it? Where, where it's just like... The weird point of view. Yeah, the weird point yeah. of view, but it can, it's a temperature read on your body. Right. Um, and, and one of the audience members goes, Gatorade is thirst aid. And Gatorade was a big commercial at the time that had that kind of thermal view of the body, right? <laughs> the audience fell out, right? The second time was, was Purple Rain. Um, which could be considered kind of offspring of a black exploitation movie. Sure. Think about it, right? And there was a scene with Prince and his father, and Prince's father said he never had to write anything down, you know, as a piano player. That's the difference between me. He goes, that's the difference between me. And right when he said that, a black woman in the audience said, yeah, yo ass ugly. <laughs> 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 and it just killed. It just killed, right? So the experience you're talking about, Joe, is like the other thing I didn't expect we would talk about is the black audience yeah. and, and also how happy the black audience was to see themselves. They yeah. were thrilled because they were so, you know, they, they, James Bond is one thing, but I, 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 I can only remember the reaction when I saw the loved one in Philadelphia at the, the Arcadia theater, which is an art theater kind of. And uh, at, at the end I went, I went to the bathroom and there were these two black guys at the urinal. And one of the, one of the guys looked at the other guy and said, this is no movie for us. <laughs> and I just thought, I, of course not. I mean, what, what possible thing would there in this movie be that these two guys would relate to? I mean, it just was completely out of their world. I mean, and that also relates to like the, that actress in Black Exploitation Cinema, Gloria Henry, mm. um, who was cast in Live and Let Die, I'm looking right now, my notes up here. And she's kissing James Bond. Yeah. And she yeah. would have never been in that James Bond movie had she not been already in these, these black exploitation movies. You know? Right, right. And, and you remember the big brouhaha about Star Trek when... Uh, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Which is hilarious. Star Trek. And of yeah. course, of course, because it's 1966, they're doing it against their will. Kirk and Uber have to kiss. But, <laughs> but I mean, they don't he's kissing, mean it. He's kissing green bitches. Come on, man. Like, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like they're but, at a higher standard than a black woman. Like, yeah, it's okay to kiss the green woman. Sure, sure. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I grew up in Philly and um, I remember going to like, uh, yeah, like the Fox and the Milgram on Market Street were the, were the big ones. They had been old, you know, giant, giant theaters back in the day. And this is before they started splitting them up. And yeah, you go see, like I saw Enter the Dragon or one of those. And, oh, man. Oh, what was it? Remember when they cut together, was it like three or four episodes of uh, uh, The Green Hornet? And released it as a movie after Bruce Lee died. You know, we saw that there. It's so cheesy. And, and the, <laughs> the thing I learned, though, especially with kung fu films, there was that moment because you know it's mostly black audience, which, as you say, it's like it's a, it's a different experience and it's great. Like Rocky but Horror. If there was going to be a moment where, like, you know, your your Asian kung fu master is fighting a black guy, I would be sitting in the theater going, "Jesus Christ, please let him lose. Please let him lose." <laughs> <laughs> Because you don't want to be the only white guy in the theater when the only black guy in the movie gets his ass kicked. Well, by, you know, Bruce. well, which just triggered a memory. Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is probably a son or daughter of black exploitation cinema too. You know, oh, yeah. and it, it's completely about like you know the love black 
uh, audiences had for kung fu cinema, yes. basically, right? And 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 you see it to to this day. I mean, Wu Tang Clan, all that kind of, yeah. kind of stuff, and hip hop, and uh, the, the the influence is is deep. And for me, I think my period of watching black exploitation was uh, the '90s, part, partly the '80s, but it was also like uh, spurred on by research for for certain movies, like you know, a documentary about pimps. Of course, we got to go watch black exploitation movies right and a lot of the needle drops and then we got to talk about the music because the music is i think one of the the crowning jewels that came out of that era yeah right um uh, and and then doing dead presidents which took place in 1971 to somewhere around there um and you look at these things for like the 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 fashion and the lingo and 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 then all of a sudden you start to hear all these tracks that you're like what, what blew me and my brother's mind was God damn that that beat was just in a Dr. Dre song, right? right? Right. And then we and then walking by, you know, by Isaac Hayes, you know, even though it wasn't not a not a part of a black exploitation movie, his other catalog was. Well, that was in this my other hip hop favorite guys thing. And then, oh my God, they just sampled the James Brown, the big payback, you know, that was meant to be the soundtrack for a black exploitation movie, Hell Up in Harlem or Black Caesar, one of them. But James Brown turned the track in too long, and they didn't right. like how long the the, the you know, and then what was it? Pays the pays pays the cost to be the boss. Mm-hmm. You know, dun, 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 dun. get down. Paid the cost to be the boss. Paid the cost to be the boss. I think that was uh, actually having a note that uh, James Brown, Black Caesar. Right? Yeah, okay. Larry Cohen. Did Black Larry Caesar. Cohen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> so, the, like, there's all, I mean, you have Isaac Hayes winning the Oscar for Shaft, which I talked to you about, Josh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, we, we look at that video of him at the Oscars playing that song, and it is still one of yeah, the greatest. Yeah, if you have never seen Isaac Hayes playing Shaft at the Oscars, hit pause, go to YouTube, check it out. It's it's absolutely amazing. It's so good. Uh but you know, but look thing. at look at the people. Like you have, you have Isaac Hayes, you have Curtis Mayfield, you have James yeah. Brown, you have Marvin Gaye, Trouble Man, right? Mm-hmm. You have Bobby Womack, you have Willie Hutch, you have Rose Royce, um, you have Earth, Wind, and Fire appearing on the first soundtrack. Uh, uh, are they on movie. Sweet Sweetback? It was insane. Yeah. Sweetback, yeah, with Sweet Sweetback, which is yeah, which yeah, which stands yeah. above, I think, yeah. a lot of these other pictures simply because it's a it is a homegrown, you know, movie from a black person from from a, a personal movie. But you look at the style, and you look at the style, yeah, the style of that movie, the cutting, the editing patterns, and you know he was using negative film and he was having the violence with a cop. Well, they're all his. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a it's an auteur movie, you yeah. know. And and a lot of the movies we're talking about, you know, coffee and and uh, those kind of pictures, which are, you know, all made by a lot of them by American International, uh, because that was a big market because of the drive-in market and the grindhouse market. Um, but Sweet Sweetback had a lot of trouble getting released. I mean, that had the the Jerry Gross was the distributor and uh, Cinemation that was like a really small company, 
Um, and of course, it was rated X by an all-white yeah. jury, which is a great ad line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, whether it was really rated X well, or not, nobody shares knows. that with Midnight Cowboy, which is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, but they had their rating reversed without having to cut anything. Eventually, really? Did, did and, they? Yeah, yeah. yeah they just we they, talk a they found, Oh, it won all these awards. Give it an R now. You know, usually they used to have to go uh, back and read. But sweet, time, but. But the the sweet sweet backs I can never get the title right. It's like a tongue twister, right? Sweet the badass song. Badass song. Sweet. You have to do all the A's. Sweet. Say it again. Say the title. Sweet sweet backs badass song. <laughs> so, I like to pronounce the, the, every the, A. The closing title on the movie literally says, "A a badass nigger is coming back to collect some dues." Right. That was the last thing left on the screen at the end of that movie, right? And it's spelled with the you know a hard er, <laughs> not the gangster rap a ga, right? <laughs> uh, that came and, and it was it was very a very. I mean, I think it set the tone for this kind of militant. I mean, there is this undertone of like you know stick it to the whitey kind of kind of thing, leading man, uh, uh, yeah. uh, fascination that it had. Uh, the 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 uh, what I didn't realize either was just uh, until researching it. Like I knew that there was some blowback from like the black intellectual circuit. Um, about the portrayals, whether mm-hmm. it's pimp, prostitution, drugs, um, you know, violence. Um, I didn't realize the word black exploitation was coined by a member of the NAACP mm. and, until recently. And, and that, that quite shocked me. And what you and I just talked about was that just, I've heard these opposing arguments for years about like, had you just let it go on a little longer, these actors and possibly directors too, and writers would have went on and started branching out and doing better things. But sure. the, the black kind of uh, civil rights crowd and also the white kind of guilt liberal crowd, intellectual crowd, both joined forces and kind of just clamped down on, the, on, on, the, on this thing. And if you look at James Cagney and Humphrey Bogart and what they were doing earlier in their careers, there were a lot of gangster movies that you could say the same thing about, you know? Yeah. And and then they went on to do bigger and better things. Well, with anything. And, I mean, you don't get, you know, yeah. you don't get Taxi Driver without Boxcar Bertha. You know, it's like so many, very few people hit the ground running as, you know, respectable yeah. A-list. Food. I mean, Corman was a whole exploitation thing unto, him, unto his own. Yeah. And wasn't, yeah. he, wasn't, wasn't Pam Greer his, like, secretary or something like that? And he just plucked her out of obscurity and put her in a movie? She was plucked out of obscurity. And, uh, and, and you know, she did those Filipino movies um, in, the, you know, the big dollhouse, the big birdcage and all that kind of stuff. And that's what, that's what propelled her uh, into a, a, a leading lady. But you look at Pam Greer and fucking, but she's a, a knockout, like this fucking Jessica Rabbit on steroids, basically, yeah. right? And and the sexuality of of black exploitation cinema. If you look at that one, the the one scene in Superfly where he's in the bathtub with the girl, with the gratuitous slow motion and the Curtis Mayfield track playing. But, I mean, the scene's going on forever, and he just has his hand in her ass, and the soap suds are kind of like. You know, our ass is rippling. And you look at this thing, like the, the track is great, but that's also the problem I want to get to here is that you brought up earlier, uh, Joe, is like the quality, right? It, it's, if you look at Superfly versus the Mac, like mm-hmm. I'm a massive fan of the Mac, mm-hmm. okay? And I can get into Mac Julian, Richard Pryor, we can get into all that, the soundtrack. Uh, Curtis Mayfield, I'm a huge, like he's one of my favorites of all time, right? Superfly was not a well-made movie, though it was made by a black man. I hate to say that, okay? It wasn't a well-made movie. It was a little shoddy around the edges. In fact, there's a few scenes in, 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 um, when they're in a, 
um, a lounge or a bar where you know how they loop like the audio, like the, the audio of the, uh, yeah. the ambient. Yeah, these right? the crowd noises, yeah, over and you can hear them again. Usually, if you get you can you can get by in a ten or twelve second loop, right? There's a fucking three second loop in there, okay? And then if you listen to the soundtrack now, and then you you you're very familiar with the Curtis Mayfield CD version, basically, right? Those were very early versions of like almost sketches or demos in the movie. They weren't mm. the finished tracks that were released. And I love Ron O'Neill and the fact we shot at him out in our first movie, you know, um, and, and one deathly scene. Well, who do you think you are? Ron O'Neill, right? Um, and I love the woman that played his girlfriend. I forgot who, what, what her name is now. Um, but when I saw the Mac, I go, now this is a production. Like this looks like a, a movie. Yeah, it's a lower budget movie, but it, it was competent, competently done. And then the kind of, uh, this kind of magnetic power that Mac Julian had. You know, and what happened? Whatever happened? Whatever happened to Max Julian? He was he was he was he was running a good race there for a while. Did um, he ever do anything? Then, was he in anything up to par after that? Yeah, well, there's a great. Is it before or after Joe Getting Straight? Yes, the, 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 Getting Straight is 70, 70. So okay, so it's um, before. That's before the match. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God, it was so good in that movie. Yeah, and Richard Pryor ad-libbing everything and high up his ass in cocaine during the whole shoot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, the blind man. I don't know if you remember the blind man giving him game. That's the yep. control. No, the key, the, the key is not to control one's body, but to control the mind. See, pimping has been big since it's been going on since the beginning of time. And it's going to keep moving straight ahead until somebody turns off the lights on this small planet. Uh, <laughs> yes. I'm just looking him up. Let's see. Well, he was in, oh, Thomasian Bushrod, he was in, which was uh, um, kind of Bonnie and Clyde sort of Western thing. And he wrote, I didn't, did you know this, Joe? Did you know Max Julian wrote Cleopatra Jones? Did he? Yeah, I knew that. Of course I he didn't did. Know that. I, I, I had no idea. I had no idea. I think Joe might be the black exploitation expert on this. On this, uh, Joe, Joe no more knows more than all of this. No, I really have. I because of my job, I really did see uh, almost all of them that came out between seventy and seventy-five. Okay, so what's your you favorite? I, I I know the one I like the least. It's called Melinda. <laughs> uh, well, and it can't. was directed by a black by a black director, but it's uh, it was just a terrible movie. Um, my favorite, uh, well, you know, I really like three, the hard way. Yeah. Um, and I also like take a hard ride, which is a I've black Western. Oh yeah. Leaving. Oh wait, wait, that's the one with Fred Williamson and, Fred Williamson, um, and Lee Van Cleef and who's the... and Lee Van Cleef and, and Barry Sullivan. And, and with you know, Jim but Kelly? it's also with Jim, Jim Kelly, Kelly and did Jim you, Kelly. Did you hear the and story why a, he's mute? No. Fred Williamson went on the record in one interview and said, the reason why Jim Pe Kelly's playing a mute Indian actually partly Indian, I guess, right? Because he couldn't act worth a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Not the first time that's happened, but it's an Italian movie. I mean, it's directed by Antonio Margariti. Uh, and it's the, but the music is by Jerry Goldsmith. It's, it's, a, it's a very strange amalgam of different nationalities, but it's, it's, a, it's really a good, it's a good Western. 
Jesus Christ, I got it. I, I just looked at the list, like I have it year by year. On, uh, and there's a lot of them. I go, oh my God, I've never even heard of that one, right? And then I started thinking to myself about like, well, was the Watermelon Man considered a black exploitation movie? Was this movie considered a black exploitation movie? Like, I couldn't, Coolie High, is that considered a black exploitation movie? Maybe not, not no, so much, it depends who's doing the considering. Yeah, but I mean, those are movies that I think were enabled by the realization that there was actually the realization that there was a black audience, you know, that, which is so insane. Like the notion that uh, it wouldn't have occurred to anybody. That there might well, I mean, I mean, I look at the makeup. I remember in the 90s of the, the action movie audience and, you know, it, it was, I wouldn't say dominated by the black market, but the black movie audience was hardcore into these action movies, you know, mm-hmm. it could have been 50, 40, 30%, you know, but you look at the return on, on some of these movies, you understand what happens, like $500,000 for a sweet back, right? $15 million gross, Shaft, $12 million gross, Superfly, $19 million gross, right? Um, and, and you understand why it blew wide open, but then you also understand the, the flip side to this whole exploitation argument. It's like anything making money is exploitation. The problem was a lot of these white people were like, oh, you know, pimps and this and that, we'll just throw any shit out there. And they'll they'll buy a ticket to see it, not not knowing it, it wasn't going to sustain itself unless you broke it wide open, basically, and, and did something new and different. And on the backside with Cooley High and a couple other movies, they did break it wide open, but they'd been so browbeaten all these studios that they just shut it down. And then Rocky and Jaws and those movies started coming on, and yeah. um, you know, the rest is history until 1985, 86, with Spike Lee and um, Robert Townsend. And Robert Downs' movie is interesting because it's actually poking fun kind of at that system. Well, Hollywood Shuffle is, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, it, it's, a, it's, really, it's a really good movie. No, about I love that movies. movie. I love that movie. I really love that movie. It's, it's, it's funny. And you, you touched on, um, I think you were heading here, or maybe that, uh, when you were talking about Superfly and the Mac, and I'd also throw on Shaft. I mean, there was that thing. It's a, it's, it, it might be blasphemous to say this, but... I think Superfly and Shaft are both movies that um, we would not be talking about were it not for the theme songs. I, hey, listen, if, 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 if you've got to kill a few babies to give me that. <laughs> Absolutely. I just, I always, you know, I, I finally stopped going back to Shaft because it was one of those things where I was like, oh, maybe I'm missing it. And, you know, Roundtree's oh. great. I'd love to see him in a great movie about a black detective, uh, but it's just kind of, it's just not great. And then the hilarious thing is if you take that amazing song out of the opening sequence, it's just a guy walking from one place to another in New York. (laughs) But when you have the themed shaft behind you, you are the coolest action hero who ever lived, no matter what you're doing. But if you look at Isaac Hayes and then Curtis Mayfield, like pound for pound, track for track, Curtis Mayfield fucking delivered. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He may have had the title track to Superfly, and Shaft may have had a ton of track. I don't remember uh, Isaac Hayes' other tracks from, from Shaft. I don't, uh, there actually was a track I used in American Pimp called Pursuit of the Pimp Mobile that may have come from one of these movies, but I don't know who did it or where it came from, but I remember the title, right? Oh, 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 oh,
but Curtis Mayfield, Freddie's Dead, mm. you know, Bumpy's Lament, you know, there's all these tracks on, on that album that are just fucking yeah. awesome, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and, then, and then to think that one of the most revered artists of all time, Marvin Gaye, did one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is amazing. I mean, if it, if that's just if that's a first of all, I don't look. I don't. I, I, again, I'm not the generation that was actually going to the theater at the time, so I can look back, and you know, with kind of rose colored glasses on this thing. But the the music that came out of it, um, the attitude that came out of it, um, you you just can't replace it. I think that the 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 culture needed it. It's almost like if you look at um, NWA's "Fuck the Police." Right, mm-hmm. like the culture. Even though it was a shocking song at the time, the the culture needed it. They needed it to feel kind of proud of themselves, to stick you know stick their chest out and feel like they're human beings, basically. Yeah. Right. So there, there there's a reason there's a reason for it. There's nothing to be there are there, there are a few things to be uh, ashamed of. Like I love Dolomite, but there's some really embarrassing things in the Dolomite movies. <laughs> and Dolomite, you know, uh, Rudy Ray Moore. It's partially the godfather of hip hop, you know, make no doubt about it, you know. Oh, um, you know what he was what was he, he was all saying, I you know, I was through with it before the others knew what to do with it. Do with it. God, you yeah. know that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he 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 also was a, a closeted uh homosexual, you know, yeah. at a time where in black culture, even to this day, it's not popular to come out, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Eddie didn't play him that way. Yeah, they did not. No mention. <laughs> yeah, they really glossed over that one, didn't they, man? As great as Eddie was in that movie, it was still Eddie Murphy doing that Eddie Murphy voice. You know, like his put on voice instead of like just Eddie play, just play a man. Mm-hmm. Like, you mean like that, in Dreamgirls? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like I agree. Well, he like, was better in Dreamgirls. Can the director just say to Eddie, don't do that put on voice. Just have a real voice here and bring. And also, I think the homosexuality thing should have been touched on. We're in the, the era now where that that's part of like the kind of Thing that Rudy Ray Moore had to deal with, yeah, you know, was being closeted, and you know, mm-hmm. he, and he was doing all these sexually charged stuff. And th- there's no Dr. Dre without Rudy Ray Moore. I I gotta say, man, I, I I was a fan of that film, and I really, the moment that really killed me, um, you know, and, and and a lot of times, sort of legends can coast a bit, or you sort of forget why they're legends. But Eddie Murphy doing, you know, comedy doesn't age well all the time. Like if you put on a record of Ray Ray Moore doing the signifying monkey right now, yeah. you're not yeah. going to bring the house down. It's just not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. But Eddie doing that bit line for line somehow managed to do it. No, he made it hilarious. I'm sitting there laughing at this bit that I must've heard half a dozen times and never laughed at. And he was so good doing it. Just watching him do stand up again and watching him take yeah. on that character. I was like, this yeah. is, this is an amazing scene. And you had, you had, I had great like hopes, like, Oh my God, Eddie, you're gonna ride this wave, and then coming to America came out. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we all have our ups and downs. We do. I mean, but he's, he's like, I it's like I, I even called my agent. I said I gotta talk to Eddie. I just I gotta talk. I mean, we, we've come in cross past, cross past. You know, our generation is slightly off from from Eddie's generation. Sure. It's like that guy has so much talent. You know, like. He just needs to be put in the right situation with the right director to tell him, you know, st- cut that other stuff out. Like, yeah. The characters are great when you can do the voice with the characters, but when you're playing the man, you know, you, you got, you got to, you got to come from a different, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird with, it just, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, 
I was disheartened to see that. But then again, like you look at coming coming to America, the original one, um, you know, it's an all black cast. It's it's a well regarded movie. And again, I think without black exploitation, that movie would not exist, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, even some of the characters and caricatures in that movie would not would not exist, basically. Right? Directed by John Landis, um, who in hindsight uh, should be given more credit for what he did in that movie than he was back then. And by the way, the Blues Brothers, like, fuck. You, you're talking about a cross-section of Hollywood and, and bringing them the, the black sound. You know, that, that to me is one of the greatest comedies of all time. Hey, it's Josh, and we're going to take a quick break just to mention our fantastic sponsor, MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website. Um, They're great fans of our show, and they also feature most, at least, of the movies we discuss here, so you can easily find them and add them to your collection. Obviously, some films are simply not available on video, but uh, we hope to change that. We do hope to change that. Um, One of the movies, in fact, the one that Albert Hughes is about to start talking about, Willie Dynamite, Um, They do have it, Movies Unlimited. I had not seen it at the time of this recording. I have since watched it on a glorious new Blu-ray. I can vouch for the Blu-ray, I can vouch for the movie, uh, and I can vouch for MoviesUnlimited.com. Their prices are great, choices are endless. Uh, You can own the titles you love and enjoy all those bonus features you don't get anywhere else. So click on the Movies Unlimited banner on the Trailers from Hell website and buy your favorites from hard-to-find films, imports, and more, including Willie Dynamite. Go now to MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website, where shipping is... What is shipping, Joe? Shipping is always free on orders over $50, so feel free to spend lots of money. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But I did want to talk to you guys about Willie Dynamite. Ah. Like, Joe, what did you think of Willie Dynamite? I haven't seen Willie Dynamite since it was new. Wow. Really? Really. I probably reviewed it, too. But I don't, I, it's, it's probably in my list of stuff that I reviewed. But uh, uh, I, I, I liked it, but I haven't, I haven't seen it since. It just, it's amazing to me that it's not mentioned much. You know, in, in greater pop black culture or the references. Well, it's not very well known. And I think it was a studio picture. I thought it was a universal picture. Hey, it, it, the production value was up here. Okay, I will say that the, the yeah. costumes were immaculate. You know, the scene, there's scenes like well, there's a pimp council and they're Great. discussing territories and how to deal with the police. And there's this character, I'll send you guys a clip after we're done. There was this character who plays this kind of wise and pimp. You know, it looks like almost like. Um, uh, the, the Emperor from Return of the Jedi. And I'm convinced after I saw this performance that the actor from Return of the Jedi stole his performance from this pimp. Right? <laughs> I'm absolutely <laughs> convinced about it. And you have to see it, and I'll, I'll try to tell, a, I'll, I'll give you a line that I remember because we actually used it in an in, in American pimp. Um, and there's a lot of great lines. Like one of the, one of the things this, this kind of like Yoda pimp says is, you can't control your bitches. He says that to Willie. You can't control your bitches because Willie is, how are we going to handle a man? Who, who's to say this territory is not this territory? And this cop's not going to come over and do this without knowing what that cop's going to do. 
and what am I going to do about my bitches? And blah, blah, blah. And he goes, you can't control your bitches, right? Then Willie is popping off. He, he has all his grievances during this big pimp council, right? And, and there's cocaine everywhere. And he even offers uh, Willie this bowl of cocaine when he first walks in the room. And Willie kind of like shoes it off. Like he opens his watch and he has his own coke. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not doing your coke, right? Then they get down to the debate. Then they get the your coke's pro your coke probably cut. <laughs> and you can the the emperor pimp that I'm talking about, and then the, the pimp that I'm I'm calling the emperor guy, right? Uh, you can see he's getting riled up by what Willie's saying. Uh, and he, at one point he goes, he's looking back and he has these long fingernails and he's in his like throne like chairs and he goes, I, I'm I'm gonna try to get it right, guys. He said, uh. Well, I respect your ambition, Willie, but you got to have vision. Now I run every kind of bitch, every kind of place, and I know one thing. When it comes down on you, you either collectivize or run like a solitary rat. <laughs> now that bit we put into American Pimp. <laughs> and everybody, everybody brings it up. And when I send it to you guys after this, right? Look at the performance and tell me that he is not the emperor from whatever the fuck. That, <laughs> that dude, who's that? What's that guy's character? Character name in Return of the Jedi? Palpatine, you mean? Or Palpatine? No, emperor the guy Palpatine. who's in the black thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the dude em that's yes. telling telling Darth Darth Vader to kill Luke. Yeah, that's that's. I believe that is he the emperor. Yeah, Who is he? That's him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. You, I hope you, that's true. You gotta see this performance. It's an amazing performance. And when you see when you see the actor's eyes and the way he moves his hands and his his whole disposition, you go, okay, either this is the most incredible like he brought some stage acting and some film acting and put it in one, and maybe did a few bumps of cocaine in the middle of it. <laughs> that, that was the first picture produced by Zanuck and Brown. No, uh, before they did Jaws. Willie no Dynamite. Yeah. Fantastic. It is, by the way, as obscure as it is, and I, I have not watched it yet. I, I do have a, um, uh, by all accounts, beautiful Arrow Blu-ray of it that came out in the last year or so. How did you end up with that? What, what are you doing? I bought it. And you're not watching <laughs> it? <laughs> not yet. I have a million. He just buys them to keep them, you know, like I, I, this, 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 on the shelf. He just came in the last two. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's uh, we well, you guys, still still buying podcast. you guys are still yeah. buying DVDs. I just can't believe Blu-rays, Blu-rays. Yeah, hard physical media. But it's hard physical copy because you know when those when these streaming services when, they, when these services go out and go go away and they drop movies from left and right off of Amazon Prime and F, you know you think Apple's going to get you think Apple's going somewhere? Well, but they 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 may or they may they're not going to have the same library. But no, stuff's going to come and go. Stuff will they come bought the go. movie, so I bought the movie. It's in my library. They got no, they right. get rid of it. I paid yeah, for they that. Can. Yeah, they can. They did it with some of the music, by the way. I've seen them do that. Yeah, they can do it with movies too, or finally. And then, and then, if you're just streaming it, if you haven't bought it, um, they may stop streaming it, which happens all the time. I had a friend call me up a little while ago, freaking out. He'd like, he's like, you know, I mean, here we are in pandemic. Uh, I've always wanted to watch Homicide. You know, Life on the Streets, a great TV show. He's like, it's not. And I look, it's not streaming anywhere. So I'm like, well, my friend, you're in luck. I have the box set on DVD because, you know. By the way, have we mentioned MoviesUnlimited.com recently? Physical media, folks, don't listen to Albert Hughes on this one. Well, here's the other little dirty secret that I'm going to reveal that you guys already know. Pirate Bay. Nope. 
Did you notice how he froze? Just going illegally down. Yeah, I know. Yes, well, yes. We, we don't condone yeah. it. You want an eight gig copy? You want a five gig copy? Or you want a one gig copy? <laughs> I, uh, yes, yes, yes. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that, people. Don't listen to this know, bad man. Know, but, like, don't listen hey, to this I, bad, I, bad man. I, no, the thing I love I, about that stuff. I pay is, my DGA fees. There are there are <laughs> there are places you can go to find stuff. I tend to. I think I I try to take the ethical line and um, only go. There's a lot of movies you can't get any other way that are um, uh, available on some of those uh, dark. Well, there's the movie detective, and you know these. Companies yeah. that are well, I'm stuck legit, in, I'm, but I'm stuck in Prague. You guys, I can't get these movies. That's true. He is in Prague. He is in Prague. Um, oh, he's in Prague. It just, it, there's no possible way to get some of these movies. It's, it's, oh, well, that bet. Is my connection is my connection cutting up on you guys? So, so Joe, we have to talk about we have to talk about Trick Baby. Trick Baby, you wouldn't know the truth if it walked up and spit you in the face. Trick Baby. Best-selling novel by Iceberg Slim, hottest black writer in the world today. The real gut story of the ghetto, its bras, its dudes, and high rollers like Blue Howard, the slickest con man of them all. Tonight, I'm drinking to the suckers. God bless their greedy little hearts. Because without them, where would us hustlers be? Trick baby. Trick baby. Buddy, touch those rocks and you're dead. Baby. What did you think of Trick Baby? Oh, I, I, I really liked it. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I lived in Philadelphia for a long time. And so I knew all of the locations and stuff. But um, it's, uh, it, it, oh, what's this? Oh, it's the Iceberg it's Slim the book. book. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we wanted to make the movie. We wanted to remake the movie. Oh, wow, really? And um, we, we, we'd read, and this is the mid-90s, we'd read the book, and we already knew about Pimp, Iceberg Slim Pimp, which shockingly never was made during the black exploitation period, right? Um, which was perfect for, for black exploitation. Um, and the book is amazing. I mean, the book is, I mean, Iceberg Slim is just an incredible great like, get, ghetto writer. Yeah. Um, but what spoke to me about it was like this, this kid, you know, Joe, you know the, the story on it it's like you know this kid johnny o'brien who was the the birth of, of from a prostitute didn't know his father appeared to be white lived in a black ghetto got teased all his life uh and they gave him the nickname trick trick baby um um and then he comes across this black con man who was playing the short con because he's black he can't go into the long con world of white people and he teams up with Johnny O'Brien, this young white kid, and teaches them, you know, about the con game. And um, he said, well, I forgot the line was in the movie, your, your white skin and my, my black brain will get us here or there or whatever the hell. Um, and then they kind of bastardize it for the movie, even though I, I think the movie was produced very well for the time period, you know, and, and had some things to say in it. The, the kind of black exploitation, bastardization of, of, you know, the kind of, well, it's yep. another universal picture. It's it's yep. it's a studio. It's a studio movie, uh, and it's uh, Mel Stewart, who is a, a, yep. an actor that I don't think anybody really remembers anymore. Yep. He's terrific. He's great. You know, just a, 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 an emblem. Yeah, yep. just uh, emblematic examples of people who were so good in those pictures, and then when they stopped making those pictures, they somehow d didn't have work. Yeah, that's what one of these documentaries was talking about. It's like they all like 
either turn to drugs, alcohol, just fading into obscurity. Be, yeah. You know, they, it wasn't like they could become a grip or a script supervisor because all those positions were filled by white people, even on those movies. You know, there was no mentoring program. There was no affirmative action. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was none of that. And a lot of these people like, like, I, I'd say Max Julian, the guy who played, I don't know the, the guy who played really dynamite was, was a great actor, right? Um, you had all these bit players that you see. Richard Roundtree and a few of those guys made it out. You know, uh, Fred Williamson made it out, but he was already known, I think, before those movies, you know. Right. Uh, I'm trying, I'm looking at well, the Mel actors, Stewart right? did, I was just saying, Mel Stewart did go on to a career in TV. So he's got a he lot did. Of and a, a, lot lot of them, a lot of them did. Yeah. A lot of them did, because you think about the Norman Lear period of the mid-70s on TV. Right. A lot right. of them went to that, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So you have Roundtree, Bam, Pam Grew, who's arguably one of the biggest stars of the period, right? Yep. Max Julian, we just talked about. Fred Williamson, you mentioned. Ron O'Neill, yes, he kind of had a career. He was doing like yeah. even homicide, you know, what do you call yeah. like those top TV shows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Antonio Vargas even lasted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jim Kelly. Oh, so whatever, whatever happened to Thalmus Rasulala? <laughs> Who's that? Yeah, he was, he was in all the all those pictures. He was the second lead in one of the pictures we just talked about. Um, uh, he was a, a good actor and he was, and he was, oh, like, he was like, yep. yeah, and, uh, he was like the the, it's the like sp- Harry 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 Rhodes is another guy who was a, a really good looking guy who was also a good actor and he's in Shock Corridor um, mm-hmm. and he was in a lot of television but then they just sort of disappear I mean if you go on IMDb they just the, the, the credits just get smaller and smaller and then there aren't any you know and then Even you have, for people who are still alive well then you have I mean like then you have what happened with Pam Greer with the Jackie Brown thing which I have kind of torn feelings on the Tarantino of it all. Oh, as, as you as you know josh yes yeah, which are <laughs> well I, I i haven't had the conversation well you you partially heard it i think in our last podcast it's like you know my, my theory on, on tarantino is like he and everybody knows this about him it's like of course he's a video store geek and of course he's absorbed everything of course he's been influenced and he kind of repackages remixes does it like a dj but he has this weird weird kind of sick perversion about black culture and i don't care i'll go on the record right now but it's like i don't give a fuck like we've, we've had our our things with him and we've been friends and not been friends with him you know um um over me walking out over the word nigger and pulp fiction in an early screening you know that's where he drew the line with me that's where i drew the line with him though you were saying it in front of sam jackson right um i i do believe the man has a great reverence for black exploitation cinema there's no doubt about it right um but his reverence is a little misplaced because if you, if you make whatever nine, 10 films he's up to right now, and every single one of your films has a nigger word in it, um, um, except for once upon a time in Hollywood, because you finally started hearing the criticism. Um, <laughs> so now you pick on Bruce Lee and Mexicans. <laughs> uh, 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 and Bruce Lee's untouchable, by the way. He's untouchable to, to the black culture. Like you don't fuck with Bruce Lee. And you can have this white boy, Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. Kick Bruce Lee's ass? Like, yeah, we got problems now. And so is Bruce Lee's daughter. That's a big problem with it, right? Um, I like what he, I like some of his remixes. I like some of the, what was going on in Django, which is almost like, you know, spaghetti westerns are exploitation kind of cinema too, if you look at it, right? Sure. They're, they're cut from the same kind of, kind of vein. Mm-hmm. They put a spaghetti western with a black exploitation movie and then kind of remixed it. Um, and, and for some reason, I gave that one a pass with that word because we did have that conversation last time about the N-word. I'll just say it because I'm a nigger. Um, 
<laughs> well, it's also, I mean, considering where it's set, it would be unusual. It would be unusual. He played with it in a very interesting and fun way, and I think he probably overplayed it sometimes, but it was a comedy. So what? We, I think we were talking about last time, Joe, the Richard Pryor's influence before he, he didn't do Blazing Saddles, mm-hmm. his, his writing right. of that character and how now culture sees that movie and all these disclaimers and all that bullshit. I think that's how we got into the whole N-word conversation. But Tarantino has always been heavily influenced by um, black exploitation. The problem I have is I don't think he understands um, black culture. That's the fundamental problem I have with the man. You know, and, and for me to see him in an interview, like I said in the last podcast, and say, on Sway in the Morning, on, on, uh, on the radio, I don't understand why the Hughes brothers can use the N-word, but I can't. And, and for the host not to say, hold on a second, which he didn't do, <laughs> the black guy didn't say, hold on a second, you don't understand the difference? He so, just let it go? He just let it go. He let it go because wow. Tarantino also has a large black following. And he also, he also has a large, uh, he has one of the biggest apologists from Sam Jackson. Hmm. And some of Sam Jackson's best roles have come from Tarantino. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, again, you know, we're not a monolith, you know, um, we all don't think alike, but just because that black man vouched for that white man doesn't mean it's right. You know, there, there's still a complicated history with um, Tarantino and his perversion with, with, with black culture, you know, and that, that to me is almost uh, redoing what happened in the past. It's, it's like, the, the big complaint from the, the NAACP and, and, you know, the intellectual crowd um, was that, you know, white people were the gatekeepers, you know, they're the ones that wrote it. They're the ones that directed it. And so then you have the power of this word and the power of this culture in this one geek's hands who doesn't understand the culture really at all, but he's kind of just jerking off on the bits that he likes. But there's also the flip side where I'm going to give the argument, the pro Tarantino argument. It's like you bring back Pam Greer and give her a powerful role, right. you know, and arguably, you know, if you talk to people outside of like, a, you know, the, the sycophantic kind of fan fans of, of Tarantino, arguably uh, Jackie Brown's one of his best movies, mm-hmm. you know, and it, the least kind of a tawdry in a, in a way around the edges, you know, uh, and, mm-hmm. and most adult. You yeah. know, you, you yeah. gave her you gave her this great role, and Sam Jackson even has a great role. De Niro has a great role. Chris Tucker has a cameo that's pretty awesome, right? Um, wow, oh, it's, it's, it, it, you know, it's finally Enforcer came back. You know, God bless him for doing that. You know, um, Enforcer probably was on a few black exploitation movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd also say not in, in a sort of tepid defense as well. It's it's not as though he's you know he's a pure movie guy. So it's not as though he's deeply versed in, you know, non-black cultures. It's like everything comes filtered through movies. To That's true. That's true. You know I mean, so it's not like he's writing deep tales of the human condition, except for but he's like but that. he's also smarter than to say something like why is why are they allowed to use the word nigger? He's smarter. Yeah, that's, 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 that's astonishing. That's, you know, it's like that's not a that's it, not a good quote. If you if you look at like um because the word the the, the, the nigger word or the nigger word. Uh, it's big and, 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 and it's those hunky in black exploitation, right? And all these kind of foul words, right? And it's the first time you actually are hearing it in a great abundance, okay, yeah. in cinema. Then it goes away, it goes away for almost two decades. Yeah, almost two decades, right? Because um, we're sitting in our first movie because we want our first movie to be realistic and we're watching dailies and we're letting these guys just fly off with the word. And 
we're in the theater watching this, the dailies, and like, I've never heard the word said this much on, on a screen. This is shocking to me, right? Um, and then the new wave of the word comes along, right? And my complaint about the whole Tarantino thing is like, you can't have nine movies in a row and every subject requires a, the, the nigger word in it. <laughs> I'm sorry, okay? Now, what I said last time was, uh, if I look at Scorsese with a bunch of Italians in a back room, right. and they're gangsters in New York, right. and they use the word, that feels authentic to me. That's yeah. like, mm -hmm. that's the way those guys would talk. A couple guys in like a cartoon arm robbery movie, uh, wearing the same suit and the same tie, throwing a one where it's like, well, why did you really, why did you need that? Right. Is it, is it because you're a love of, of that, you know, where, where, where does it come from? Is it your love of black exploitation cinema and your love of uh, the culture through cinema? Mm -hmm. Or is it coming from somewhere else? I don't know. I'm going on a tie right now. No, no, no. It's 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 interesting. It's, it's an evolving a, subject. I mean, we we. I don't know if you know. I do a. Um, uh, in fact, it's just started dropping again. Uh, the second season. I do an audio drama called Bronzeville with Lawrence Tate. And yeah, uh, yeah, we talked about that. Last and time. Lawrence Fishburne. And um, you know, audio drama is so much fun because there's no hair, there's no makeup, there's no. You know, the actors walk in, they start doing lines. The, the downside is oh, there's cocaine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, Joe Joe's Joe's stuck on a must have a today. Budget. <laughs> but one of my favorite moments, you know, it's almost entirely black cast. It's about gangsters, black gangsters in the '40s, and we. I remember these two guys with these two white young comic actors come in who are playing thugs for the mob, and literally their first scene, they walk into the room. And minute one is they're meeting Lawrence Fishburne, and minute two is they're standing six feet away from him, throwing that word at him. And I've never seen anybody. Say, you know, it takes a minute to ease into that. <laughs> it does, even for like, like, nice an all-black cast. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it was just the, those moments were really kind of funny because because uh, Fish Fish would handle it very well, and and uh, but you know he was aware of the kind of how fraught. But that's also what's great about that period of movies. Again, I'm looking through rose-colored glasses. It's like the irreverence of the movies, mm. the, the shit that Rudy Ray Moore was saying in some of those movies, like you insecure job, Turkey, white motherfucker. You know, like none of it makes any kind of sense written on paper. It's like, this right. is not a good line. <laughs> <laughs> You're insulting someone by calling them insecure um, with a hunky motherfucker, basically. Right. Uh, the, the sexuality that we talked about earlier, like black exploitation yeah. single handedly, I think help bring more, sexuality overtly to cinema yeah. right mm -hmm. and and the fact that it was black bodies and sometimes even black men on white women the Raquel welch thing is mind-blowing oh uh, yeah mind -blowing. what is it 100 rifles oh my god it's mind-blowing because i've had a, a, a fixation and obsession for years about Raquel welch right and then to get older and see that that she she was bold enough to make that move back then yeah speaks to her character in a way you know in a good way. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a knockout she was. Oh yeah. Like her and Sophia Loren to me are like the goddesses. I can't argue with either. But what's, what's interesting in the, in the, in the, in the, the reverence for uh, Bruce Lee and Asian movies on the part of the black uh, audiences that currently the, the, the two major objects of hate are oh my God. black wow. people and Asian people. Mm. And, you know, and just it's, went, it's, you just went deep on us right now. Well, you know, I was just thinking <laughs> about what we were kid, talking. A, a connection. And here's, here's the, I'll tell you something that's even sicker. That latest video of that woman getting kicked in New York or wherever it was, mm. by that dude, right? Did you see the yeah. latest video, right? 
Uh, through the window, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a black man doing that to an Asian person. Right? I know, I saw that's that. A, it was he horrible. He was put on parole in 2002 for killing his mother when he was 18. What is he doing on the streets? Okay, <laughs> but your point, your, your point is taken, which is, which is uh, I saw um, a Bruce Lee documentary uh, recently, I don't know this, this year, and they were, they were delving into why the black culture has this fascination with Bruce Lee, right? And it came down to the fact that uh, the same as uh, the Asian um, um, audience, it's like there was someone on screen who wasn't white kicking ass. Mm -hmm. mm. And they identified with that minority group, like that motherfucker, look, he's an Asian dude, he's kicking all these people's asses, and we can live vicariously through him, you know? And that mm -hmm. shit was cool. The shit they were yeah. doing was cool. Yeah. I mean, the master of the flying guillotine, whatever the fuck that crazy shit was, like <laughs> all those, those slew of movies that came out, like they're just, they're just doing cool shit, man. And the, the, the kind of outfits they wore, I think black culture is really into outfits. They're into uh, swag, the swagger that the characters have. Like, yeah, James Bond is cool. You know, yeah, you know, Clint Eastwood is cool, right? But there's something about the swag of a minority that's walking through the door that has history they're just different. They're just, mm -hmm. they're just a different. They're just a different flavor there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's also but, that, a but too, Joe, right? that point you made was like, goddamn. The um, you need the, to write someone that. The uh, there was also a thing with him that that you know I know didn't uh, I didn't even understand, and I'm sure a lot of American audiences didn't at first. But things like in um, is it Fist of Fury where uh, he kicks that? There's that sign, the Chinese says, sign, no dogs and no Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. And and Bruce Lee kicks it in half, and that resonates on a very. Oh yeah, deep that level. that's a really good point. Wow, yeah, yeah. So it's like but he's the, you know even even in his world, even in a movie where everybody's Asian, he's he's dealing with that. Basically. But I mean, you look at Enter the Dragon. You got John Saxon. Yeah. You got Jim Kelly. Mm -hmm. You got Bruce Lee. You got Mr. Han, whoever the fuck that guy was. They overdubbed his voice. Um, and and, and Jim Kelly. Is like wow, a human fly. That's the first thing he said when he saw Bruce moving through the through the right. night. Like, and he goes, uh, "Suddenly, I like to leave your island." He goes, "Man," he goes, he says to Mr. Han, he goes, "Suddenly, I like to leave your island." And Mr. Han goes, "That is not possible." He goes, "Bullshit, Mr. Hand Man." And he turns around <laughs> and kicks everybody's ass, right? But then they end up doing the the typical Hollywood horror story thing. They kill the black man, right, right. and hang him up, put him in a vat of acid and shit. Then Bruce kind of has to avenge him. And, you know, the white man survives with Bruce. John Saxon, right, give him the kind right. of power fist at the end. You know, so there still was some, some fucked up shit in that movie. But that was a Weintraub production, right? Yeah. Oh. But then Jim <laughs> Kelly Brothers. goes on to a great career in martial arts movies. So, you know. He, he does. And we Where he doesn't get killed. Where he, and he doesn't get to talk. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> he's we, such a bad actor. We called him in 94, 93. My brother actually called him because we wanted him in Dead President. Oh, wow. And, and we just wanted to pull him, like, come on, let's yeah. go, you know? And he gets on the phone, the guy says, I'm still in the same shape. I still look the same way, which he did. We never met with him in person, but the, if you look at the contemporary pictures from back then, wow. he stayed in shape. I forgot the reason we didn't use him, because at the same time, we also wanted to get Curtis Mayfield to come do the score of Dead oh. Presidents, right? And what we found out at that point, which is what everybody knew, is that he was paralyzed at that point, oh. right? And that uh, he couldn't project the voice the same way. He obviously couldn't play his bass guitar because he was paralyzed, and he was running his production, um, his producing through his son. Mm. And, and it, it was a hard decision. It was just like, God, we really, we need Kurt, Curtis, and he's not able to do probably what we, 
you, you probably had to hear the produce, like, you know, anybody can kind of produce, right? So, so those two guys we really wanted to bring into the movie, but for some reason, although we did get Isaac Hayes. Okay, here's an interesting story. We did get Isaac Hayes. Uh, we took the Walk on By, uh, the Dionne Warwick song, the Burke Backrack song, I think it was, mm-hmm. right? Walk on By. And if you, guys, if you guys haven't heard the Isaac Hayes version. Oh, the Isaac Hayes version is amazing. It's fucking amazing, right? Like 14 so, minutes long or something. It's great. And it's, it's sample in hip hop. We use it in the movie during this crucial thing. They use it for the um, promotion of the movie and the music video. And we went and shot the music video in the desert with Isaac Hayes in a black suit and a Lincoln, um, the Lincoln with the suicide doors. Right. And, and Lorenz Tate, <laughs> Lorenz Tate, ask him next time you work with him, uh, Josh. Uh, and Chris Tucker and Isaac Hayes uh, at El Mirage or Cuddleback, lake, lake, the dry lake bed, right? And uh, in these black suits. And we do the music video, but before we do the music video, uh, we have to get Isaac. And um, the, the producers tell us we only have $10,000 for him in the budget for this music video, two or three day shoot. And Isaac will meet with us, but we have to meet with him at the Celebrity Center in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, right. Scientology. I forgot about that part. Scientology <laughs> Celebrity Center. So uh, our agents say, listen, you guys got to go meet him at the Celebrity Center. He says, like, we have some like sweet from upstairs, but we have to warn you when you go inside this building, when you use the restrooms, don't talk openly. Everything is recorded. Uh. <laughs> so we, we go into the celebrity center and downstairs before you enter this kind of hotel like structure. I don't know if you guys have been there. There's like these tables and it's like a cafe outside. Right. And the first thing we notice is that everybody's smoking cigarettes. They have tattoos, you know, they're cursing. And we're walking through these people like, what kind of fucking religion is this? Like tattoos, smoking, <laughs> and cursing? Like, yes, it must be a cool religion. We go in, we walk past the lobby, and there's these two swinging doors that go into the restaurant of the Celebrity Center. The doors swing open at 3 p.m. There's nobody in a restaurant, but there's two people in an intense conversation with each other. Lisa Marie Presley and John Travolta. Wow. They stop their conversation look back at us with that Scientology weird stare and go <laughs> right back to their conversation. And we're like, what the fuck is going on here? Right. Go up to meet Isaac Hayes. He's the coolest motherfucker. Really sweet. We explain to him what we need. And my brother has to get down to doing the deal with him. And he says, uh, we need you in this video. Um, Isaac says, how much you got? And my brother says, how much you want? And Isaac goes, $10,000. My brother goes, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and then he proceeded to tell us while we shot the music video and we spent the night in the desert why we should join Scientology and how much putting money in gets your money back. You know, like, right, and, right. and his boy who, who came up with him in the band and all that stuff was like, yeah, just like, you know, let that slide, man. Don't listen to what he's saying. But he was a really sweet guy, man, I got to say. And he was a star of black, black exploitations. Oh, yeah. Truck, truck, truck Turner. Turner. Yeah. Truck Turner. Yeah. Yeah. And great on the Rockford Files, too. Was he in the Rockford Files? Yeah, he, a couple, he had a recurring part. He would come back. I think he and Rockford had been cellmates or something. And he kept, he would always call Rockford Rockfish, which drove him nuts. And they just had a, it's just wonderful. You should check those episodes out because they're. they're wait, wait, wait. Now, no, Josh, how old are you? I mean, the Rockford Files reference is a little before my time because my mother was on that show. They're still on but, reruns. Uh, what are you talking about? I just never, I, I don't. I I've love the Adam West Batman. I wasn't around when that would come on. That's... Well, I mean, we had a network for that at the time. 
Remember they, like, they, they KTLA was playing it or some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw. Although I guess I went into the eighties, didn't I? I don't know that I ever saw the Rockford Files on prime time. I, I, they would show it like four o'clock in the afternoon on you know channel ten in Philly or something. So reruns, you guys saw, saw all this yeah. stuff on reruns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, so you, wait, so Josh, you grew up. My, my generation is the last one that saw stuff when it was actually yeah. shown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up in in Philadelphia. And then, and then, Joe, what were you doing in Philadelphia? I went to art school there. And then oh. I, and then after I was done, I stayed and worked on a magazine. And so I was there. So oh, you weren't like born and raised there. No, 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 no. no, no, no. I, my first, my, I, I, the first time I went there was in 64. He's a carpetbagger. Those were the great years. 64. You wouldn't recognize it now. Born. Anyway, not, not that we're not sprawling all over the place anyway, but I'm really going to sprawl. I don't know if you know that. Do you, do you, uh, do you get HBO max there in, uh, in, uh, Romania or wherever you are? <laughs> uh, no, but there's a few shows on there that I've had to go, you know, well, I however, back, you do. I, just, I had to go to the back door to get on. In terms of, in you terms should, of, uh, you should watch, you should watch Warrior. Yeah, you got to watch Warrior, which is based on a, a an idea by Bruce Lee, and it's produced by I think his his daughter, his, daughter. his daughter's daughter. producers. Wait, it's not the it's not the wrestling movie. No, 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 no. no, no. It's a, it's TV a period series. story set in San Francisco in the eighteen hundreds. About the Wars. Yeah, largely Asian cast. Well, it's not new. It was a couple years old. It was on. A couple of years old, it was on Cinemax for uh, two seasons, and then uh, what happened to Cinemax? They stopped making well, stuff. It, all their stuff ended up on HBO Max, where it is now being seen by ten times the number of people who ever saw it when it was new. Well, what's to the cinema? point where they would they would actually like to bring the show back, but it's been off for so long that they'd probably have to. Well, wasn't Cinemax the first kind of soft, you know, new Skinemax is yes, what they call yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm you enjoy War, Warrior is great. It's got incredible martial arts action and it is loaded with it. And, and, and Joe came up with this. We actually had the creator on the show. There are so many little nods. There's one scene, they're having a fight and, and a guy with long claws scratches the lead in the chest and he's got these scars. And I just start cracking up and my wife's going, what's going on? Why, why are you laughing? And I had to show her into the dragon so she got it. But Joe calls them, are you ready? This was this, Joe, I tip my hat, Leaster eggs. <laughs> If you love but, Bruce Lee movies, you will particularly love Warrior. But that's also the big parallel between the Bruce Lee period, uh, the movies he made, he made so few, right? And then the yeah. kind of, the John Saxon used to host a show called uh, um, Kung Fu Theater. It was either on KTLA or KCAL or one of those things in the early 80s. And literally it was this wall-to-wall Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. Oh, Bruce Lee, not <laughs> Bruce Lee, right? And if you look at the kind of... Um, uh, the mold they were using, it was very much the black exploitation mold. Right. It's like keep pumping out this bullshit that people want to see. Right. With low production value, no budgets. You know, the dub thing was a whole problem. And then we would all go to school and grade school and beat the shit out of each other during recess because we were so influenced by by the, yeah. by these these kung fu movies, basically. Right. That's there is a real. Thing. I mean, there, there's an interesting there's an interesting um, parallel. To be written about with the the Chinese kung fu flicks and black exploitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think because so. Bruce Lee also died. I think. Uh, I think Enter uh, uh, the Dragon uh, premiered at a demand Chinese theater in the early seventies, seventy two, seventy three, somewhere around there, right? Um, right at the height of black exploitation cinema. Yeah, yeah. But I think what happened with him. I mean, we're 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 far afield now, but but it was unique. I can't think of another thing in in pop culture. You know, Elvis dies and people are upset. Well, he was like he was like the James Dean of kung fu. But more, no, but the, but there's no when James Dean died. There weren't 20 movies with tortured, you know, 
teens named James Dunn. Or, you know, there wasn't. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, that, that's because he was a, he was a commodity. Bruce Lee was a, he was he was a, he was had merchandise. They had they had Never merchandise seen... himself, or he had merchandised himself yeah. into being. Uh, an uh, irreplaceable celebrity of which there was only one. Yeah. But have, and have you guys ever gotten into the details of Game of Death and the horrific ways? Oh, they, oh my God! Yes, it's you know, amazing. Like, I mean that that's there's a there's a trailer of Hell entry on our site. You know that Brian Durant. Like they they actually used a cutout picture on somebody's face. Like they put a picture yeah. on somebody's face, right? And yeah. wasn't it just? I don't know if you guys know more about this than I do. I don't know the truth of this. It's like, wasn't it just a screen? He was screen testing an idea. Going up the pagoda at the end, you know, it, it wasn't meant to. No, be he had shot. Movie. He had shot some footage from something that he was going to do, and when they when they found that they owned it or whatever, they said, "Let's write a story around it, and let's get other people to play Bruce." And part of the plot, of course, will be that he they change his face, right? So he's not. He doesn't look like Bruce, and it's it's a it's a a wacky hodgepodge movie. Uh, it's it's, it's horrible. Is what it is, it's horrible. <laughs> I mean, even the like the, the most iconic thing that came out of it, thank God it came from Bruce Lee, was the the yellow. Well, here's another Tarantino thing: the yellow suit with the black mm-hmm. black stripe down the side. Which my brother got that outfit from Chinatown in downtown LA. Begged my mom for it. I got the black jumpsuit from Enter the Dragon. Okay, we were fucking Bruce Lee crazed at the time. My brother <laughs> but was didn't, convinced didn't, that didn't Karim come back to do more foot shooting for that? Because you Did know he, he? Had, had a, he has this big battle he, with him. Yeah. But I think well, it's, I think that's Bruce. that's Bruce, but they, they that's augmented Bruce. it, I think with, well, with shots know, the double and a lot to make it longer. Here we go. 11 there minutes. Wasn't. There's 11 minutes and seven seconds of Bruce Lee in game of death. Yeah. And, and it's all the pagoda basically. Yeah. Dan well, Asano, the, one of his contemporaries that actually helped train, you know, the guy that trained Denzel for one of our movies, like, you know, he, he, he has a whole- Oh, really, for Book of Eli, yeah. Yeah, because Danny Nassano was the one that taught Bruce Lee the nunchucks, or the oh, nunchucks, wow. and you know, there's a story about, he showed him how to do it one day, and Bruce came back the next day and mastered it beyond what he taught him. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the other thing about Bruce Lee, and that's what pisses me off about this once in a long time in Hollywood, too. And I think we're staying under the same umbrella here, sorry. Um, what really pisses me off is that most people that are just casual fans of Bruce Lee don't realize that he actually was MMA before MMA. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the extremes that he took his body to and the actual fights that he actually got into. And his whole thing was the efficiency of movement to get to the, the person to the ground. And that whole story about the, the Chinese up in uh, Northern California being upset with him for training white people. And right. one of the masters of one studio... Um, or, or what do you call it, confronted him and said, we're going to have this bake-off fight, you know, and they had this fight. Bruce won, but it went longer than he had hoped. And he was really hard on himself about, like, why did it take so long to beat this guy's ass when I know I'm better than him? And then he went to this whole training period of, like, what's the quickest way to get a motherfucker to the ground and to ice him, basically, right? Um, so most people that are casual fans don't know how seriously he took it and how good he really was physically as a specimen, right? Yeah. Um, and then you have Brad Pitt kicking his ass in the movie. That's what I'm saying. Well, you could sum up the whole thing with the title of one of the, one of the pictures that came out after he was dead. Bruce Lee fights back from the grave. Yes. <laughs> is that the one? Isn't Popeye? Popeye's in that one, right? <laughs> but this is also a nice, a nice little uh, kind of like punctuation on the whole subject is like, you don't take a, a black icon, an Asian icon, 
uh, who, who, who kind of made us feel good about ourselves, you know, in cinema. You don't take that person and do that to him mm -hmm. in a movie. You just don't, unless you're Asian. Even that. <laughs> I don't know. The thing that I marvel at, how this is my pile here. Have you seen this? Is the Criterion box set of every Bruce Lee movie? There's actually a Criterion box set of all of them. Is it, on their, is it on their channel? Do they have it on the channel or just the box? No, it's not on their channel yet. But it's, it's, like, on it's channel packed yet. with so many amazing extras. It's got both versions of Enter the Dragon. I mean, the fact that I have like a. Oh, both versions of what? Enter the Dragon. There's a longer version. No. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it does, it's not like it has like more fight scenes or anything. But so you're yeah. not going to get all this stuff with your streaming crap. That's you know, right. you got to yeah. own it. You have to have the physical it. media. I'm just, I'm just going to so type in extended version of uh, this is terrible because <laughs> it'll just appear. We're an audio show, and I'm doing this video thing. And check this out. It's got it's got all I'm incriminating crap. myself with the FBI. Two right. supplemental discs. Uh, it does a 2K restoration of Game of Death, which I will never watch. But um, but here and then the. By the, the booklet, way, why would you need a two K restoration of anything? It's only it's close to fucking. Okay. Here's the booklet. 80. The booklet looks like an old kung fu magazine. It's amazing, and it's good. <laughs> okay, it's, okay, that's the best thing I got. You know, they can, our 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 listeners can't see that. I know, I know, I know. Our listener, our <laughs> listeners have this. Our listeners are. But I, but it thrills me that it thrills me that we started out the whole subject about black exploitation, and we ended up just with utmost respect for Bruce Lee. <laughs> That's the kind of show it is. Like, I, I couldn't have went any other place. Like, if there's anything good that came out of this, it's like the appreciation of Bruce Lee and the fact that he shouldn't have got his ass kicked by Brad Pitt. And we can probably all agree on that. So what um, are you doing in Prague? Oh, well, I'll tell you. Although I do love one thing about the portrayal of Bruce Lee in that movie. The, the actor that played him got mm -hmm. his, his voice mannerisms down perfect. Yeah, yeah, he was great. He was great. And Joe, what I'm doing in Prague is absolutely nothing. Then why are you doing it in Prague? <laughs> Good question. I, I got to come back and get that vaccine. Did you guys get it yet? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we had ours. I had I mine. I had it. Had mine. Yeah, you should, you should get, it. get it. Yeah. Well, you can't get it out here now because the European Union fucked up and didn't do a, like, a proper pre-order for it. Right. So it's right. a disarray. So the UK and America are on the same kind of vaccination path well we have a lot of leftover ones in republican counties so we can send them over there uh, oh yeah oh yeah i can't wait to see what happens to them um <laughs> and then and then the other thing is like we're also the worst now Prague or the czech republic is uh, depending on the week the worst in the world per death per capita death the worst place to be right now it was the best place to be the last time i talked to you guys we were coming out of being the best place to be and, you know, restaurants are closed, everything's closed, mandatory mask outside, all that bullshit. I just stay home and I'm waiting to figure out if I'm coming back for a job to get the vaccine or whether I should just come back and just get the vaccine. So. Well, America, America would welcome you, sir. This might be the last time you see me. But I might not survive the trip. Oh, you'll, oh, make, you'll, make, it. you'll make it. But you should, you should get it and you should get it soon. If I, if I don't make it, they can... They can recast me with another actor and put like some cardboard cut out of my face. And that's there. right. <laughs> We've, nice got We've got footage here of you talking. We can use that. <laughs> there you go. Um, wow. Well, that was, that was an intensive conversation about black exploitation. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was good. You should come back. I and hope do it, again. it was good enough for you. I hope it was good we enough. We haven't for even audience. scratched the surface. I know. We haven't even. No. 
we didn't talk about the Dynamite Brothers. It wasn't a what do you call it? It wasn't a scholarly discussion of black exploitation. That that's why I had so much anxiety about it. No, but that's that's not that's not what we do. Well, you guys put me put me at ease uh, last time about it, but I think the takeaway is, if anything else, people should go get those goddamn soundtracks. Yes, the movies are fun. Yep. But the soundtracks are better. The soundtracks yeah. are amazing. Yeah. Soundtracks are great. Yeah. Yes. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thank great you so much you for coming back. Um, yeah. You, hopefully Gary. next we'll we'll do this again when you're back in the in person maybe someday. Maybe even. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you? Do you guys do that? Do you guys were? Were you guys we working did. in person? Yeah. We used to. We used to do this. And you brought the guest in. Yeah, we yeah. had a studio and everything. Yep. But now that we do it this way, we get better guests. Oh. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Joe, there's here's 70 the people who came on our record. No, no, that's true. We had great guests. I'll be sure. We, I'll we, be sure to tell your friend Roger Corbin that we're getting better guests now that we're. We doing had it. to go to his. Excuse me. We went to his office. Yeah, yeah, goddamn right, we did. <laughs> I'm gonna send that clip to you guys, by the way, too. Thanks. Wonderful. All right, man. Take care. Right. Bye. Well, I respect your ambition, Willie, but you got to have vision. Now, I run every kind of bitch, every kind of place, and I know one thing. When it comes down on you, you either collectivize or you run like a solitary rat. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. That's the idea. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.